definitely one of the things about our culture is that there's a sort of kind of supermarket men- mentality mm. about activities. So, oh, I'll try a bit of this and I'll try a bit of that and I'll try a bit of something else. Um, and then sort of wondering why they don't actually develop really good skills. And the only way to develop really good skills is to do them for hours and hours and hours yes. and hours. There, there is no shortcut. It's committing to something. Hello, and welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Good morning, beautiful bunheads, or afternoon, depending on when you're listening. When this episode drops, I'll actually be returning from the very first Balanced Ballerinas Adult Ballet Retreat held in one of my favorite places in the world, Byron Bay. I will have been spending two days with like-minded adult ballerinas teaching classical ballet and learning repertoire from Giselle. And I'm sure plenty of uh, ocean swims, beach walks and good food will be sprinkled in between. I'm actually recording this introduction the night before I leave for the retreat and I'm, in case you couldn't tell, ridiculously excited. Perhaps I'll share in the next episode how it all went. And uh, look, please let me know if you couldn't join us this time, but would like me to schedule some dates for 2020. I don't know about you, but I'm already planning 2020 events and timetables. It's just crazy how the time flies. But I guess if I'm preparing for the following year in October of the current year, it must mean I love my work. So with that in mind, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say a big thank you. A big thank you to new listeners of the podcast, the OG listeners of the podcast, and to anyone and everyone in my dance community who basically allow me to do the work that I do and keep showing up. Thank you so much, everyone. I really am constantly and eternally grateful. And I appreciate every single one of your messages that I get after a new episode's released. So, Thank you. Now on to this week's guest. Edna Reinhardt is a very special human. I instantly fell in love with her as she approached me across the lobby of the hotel I was staying at. She is a tiny frame with a big aura. Edna is the principal and founder of Over the Moon Studios in Castlemaine, Victoria, and has been teaching yoga and creative dance to students from two and a half to 20 years old since 1975. From a background in contemporary dance and drama, Edna studied yoga and creative dance in Mangala Studios in Melbourne. 
And this was through the early 1970s through to the 1980s. And the studio focused on the concept of mindful movement in improvisation. This association profoundly influenced Edna's approach to yoga and dance education. So today, Edna is the author of the Yoga Education Resource Series. And this yoga syllabus informs the yoga education at Over the Moon and is also used in many schools and therapeutic settings across the world. It's pretty impressive. Edna treats every class like a work of art and her teaching style takes skill, craft and an enormous amount of time and energy. For this reason alone, I really respect her process immensely. The way that Edna teaches is not only enriching for the students, but it's also incredibly enriching for any of the teachers around her. You see, we cover many topics about contemporary, dance, movement, yoga, and the importance of a studio philosophy. However, it's the question that I asked, what are you curious about right now, Edna? And what keeps you motivated, which intrigued me the most? Upon asking these questions of Edna, I found out she's super passionate and obsessed with her legacy, a topic I've been kind of thinking a lot about lately, the concept of what's left when I'm gone and who continues this work I'm so passionately doing. You see, I've always approached the topic from, I guess, more of an archival point of view. Take this podcast, for example. It makes me smile to imagine a student when I'm long gone consuming these podcast episodes with the care that someone in this day and age might play a record. But Edna has a different plan and probably a smarter plan if you ask me. (laughs) She's investing time and energy into educating the next generation of teachers in her orbit. And look, I must admit, during the time I spent with her, I also felt like a student sitting across from the master. So with that in mind... Enjoy this very special episode with my new friend, Edna. Hi, Edna. Hi, Georgia. We are sitting in my hotel room in Melbourne and you are my first cab off the rank for my interviews whilst I'm down here. I'm so excited to meet you. And I need to first say thank you to um, Edwina, your head of ballet at your studio, yeah, for, um, mm-hmm. for connecting us and recommending that we meet up, which was so lovely of her. Give her a little shout out because I know she listens to the podcast. Mm. Now, you come from a background in contemporary dance and drama. Yes. With a very special teacher. Can you share with the listeners who, oh my gosh, I'm not going to butcher this, Dorotea Manjameli. There we go. <laughs> Could you please share with us um, your dance journey? Mm. So I did start in contemporary dance and uh, one of my contemporary dance teachers told me about Manjameli. I call her Manjameli. I always did for some reason. I didn't call her by her first name. And uh, I remember going firstly into a yoga class and being so in awe of her teaching and the reason that I was so inspired by her teaching I realize now is that it was all about listening to the body so she took us through yoga sequences but everything was about listening and it really resonates for me in terms of 
our emphasis on safe dance practices yeah. nowadays. So whenever we're talking about safe dance practices, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But actually, if you come down to listen, you can't be unsafe. That's so true because safe dance practice can mean so many different things and even I get mm. confused sometimes myself and I go, oh my God, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Am I safe? That's, thank you. That's really an mm. easy way of looking at it. Mm. And that's something that I emphasise with my students from, you know, our students are from two and a half years and upwards. But going back to Manjumeli, so firstly it was about the listening and about the mindfulness and then I went to a dance class and the dance class was what she called creative dance and uh, it is structured improvisation, structured dance improvisation and I felt that that was more like a dance meditation I was very inspired by the music that she used so at the time there was a lot of classical music and a lot of world music and I felt as if I'd come home to myself when I was in her classes mm. and being uh, at the time I was 22 being a sort of footloose fancy free 22 year old mm -hmm. I basically decided to shadow her for a, a few years so I went to all her classes I assisted her in her children's classes and that was essentially my training in teaching yoga and creative dance and of course that was in about 1976 that's a long time ago <laughs> um, <laughs> during the cave era um, but essentially uh, that was the way I trained and uh, since then I have kept learning so even now 43 years later or whatever it is Every class that I teach, I feel that I learn a little bit more and uh, even I focus a lot on mentoring other teachers and when I'm mentoring teachers, as I was the other day, talking about teaching a class and even the way that I expressed it to this person, I felt as if I was learning more. So mm. I feel grateful for the fact that you know, I'm a pretty old person, but I haven't stopped learning. I'm still inspired I, by teaching. That's inspiring as a as a teacher to know. It's mm. it's funny as the years go by, I always think, Oh, you know, I've got it and, and like I'm a I'm a much better teacher this year. What was I doing last year? And then the next year I think, Oh, I'm a much better teacher this year. What mm. was I doing last year? And then the next mm. year the same thing happens again. Mm. So it's mm. um it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Mm. It's an ongoing process because we keep changing, but it's also an ongoing process because our students keep changing mm. as well. The students that I had in the 80s are different to the students I have now. How so? What's, your, what's the biggest oh. differences that you find? Well, it's societal, really, just 
the way our students are affected by society. One thing, for instance, is uh, our students did just dance yeah. in 1976, maybe. Um, nowadays, our students do dance Japanese. Tennis, chess. Origami, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Everything under the sun. Everything under the sun. Both parents are working very hard. So time is of the essence. It's, it's funny though. Time is of the essence, but I also feel like they're doing and expected to do so much more. Mm, absolutely. Most of my students, mm. you know, are dancing. You know, the majority of our students are dancing maybe a Tuesday, Thursday and a Saturday. Mm. But then Monday's swimming and mm, mm. Wednesday's cross country and... Mm. Friday's piano and mm. and I feel for them a little bit like they've got Sunday maybe if they don't have a ballet workshop or something exactly. extra so mm. yeah what mm. do you think that do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing look I don't know I don't know whether it's I think it just is it is is what it is it's a product of of the time I think um in in the 70s and 80s, I didn't, no parent ever spoke to me about their child's anxiety. Yes. Whereas now, I, a lot uh, of children experience anxiety. Hence the yoga and the mindfulness, the, I think the importance of that. And I think, you know, the importance of the sort of environment that the kids come into in the dance class, in mm. the dance studio. Yeah. Do you think that perhaps the anxiety is due to the level of expectation that's now on the children? Maybe. That may be part of it. Maybe part of it is just busyness. Yeah. No time. We're so busy, aren't we? Yeah. Um. Maybe social media. I I haven't got an answer to that yeah. actually. I it's mm. it's just I ask because it's just something I, I threw that at you. <laughs> yeah. I just it's something that I think about constantly yeah. as as, as a teacher. Yeah, because yeah. I'm trying to, I guess, navigate it, but but mm. also work out a healthy balance. Mm because social media can be so fantastic. I mean, we wouldn't mm. be sitting here no, if it wasn't exactly. for social media. But then there's also the other side where, where if you have a bit too much of it, you know, there's no room for being still mm. or being present. Mm. And I guess actually another reason why I wanted to talk to you was because of your um, process and your heavy use of yoga um, education being central to your teaching practices because I think it's so important in in, in a day like today mm. so um, so yeah I really just want to um, explore that today I feel like yoga is such um, a beautiful practice uh, with so many benefits for the dancers yet it's it's often overlooked I think a little bit in the dance world I think I think there'd be some very healthy dancers if they did a bit more yoga although you know then there's the time again mm, <laughs> but mm. um, one of my uh, first podcast guests actually was Laura Trimble Thompson who's a yogi I met through um, her participation in my adult ballet classes mm. and um, whilst like she only did a small amount of ballet as a child she 
when she stepped into a ballet class, like even an advanced one, she just had this really like free flowing, natural way of moving. And mm. I, and I, I definitely credit her yoga practice for that because she just knows her body so well. Mm. Um, so I guess like how, how important is the yoga aspect of your studio? And do you start the yoga aspect from the tiny tots? Mm. Mm. So <clears throat> our classes start with parents and two and a half year olds. So you have the parents in the class yep. with them? Yeah. How's that go? Gorgeous. Yeah. Adorable. It's just a beautiful, bonding, playful class. And we actually use the yoga cards quite a lot. So Yes, you um, gave me a present today. Thank you. I've got these beautiful um yeah, yoga cards in front of me and there's different poses on each card. Um, actually, quickly, let's explain exactly what they are because I just think these are fantastic. I think s teachers would really benefit from these, even from a contemporary perspective in a contemporary class. Very much. Yeah. So mm. each card has a yoga pose on them. And how would you use them in class? Mm -hmm. So there are lots of different ways of using them. There are two volumes of cards. Volume one, I've given you volume two because that was the last one I did. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. And uh, there are eight children who are models, who model the postures and they range in age from four to 12 years old. There are four girls and four boys. They're beautiful. And they're also um, from diverse ethnic backgrounds. And hopefully uh, the children are children that our young students can relate to. So they, you know, look at young Andreas doing the thunderbolt posture yeah. or, you know, Fergus doing downward facing dog. Um, and so that's one thing. One thing is just to, to teach... Uh, yoga postures accurately but then the other thing is to be playful with them so um, children will choose a few cards and they'll create their own yoga sequence and from creating their own yoga sequence they can use music and um, you know going from one posture to another posture how do you do that that turns it a little bit into a dance so you might yeah and then the transitions that's why I thought they'd be really good for like a contemporary class exactly this is what I'm so I'm already planning in my head what I'm going to do I'm going to yeah. bring these back to my junior contemporary class I'm going to shuffle them all up all these cards because there's to explain to the listeners there's an individual pose on each card mm. I'm going to shuffle them up and I'm going to give each group like 10 cards and mm. they have to See, already going in my brain. Um, and I'm going to get them to structure and go from each pose and work on the transitions to make it like a contemporary dance. Mm. There you go. That's what I'm going to do, Edna. Well, I'm really excited already. <laughs> well, then you've planned your class. Fair. That's a whole class done. <laughs> That's right. And so also from in terms of the transitions, you can talk about the way you do it, you know, the tempo. You can also talk about, the, um, you know, travelling. So travelling from one pose yeah. to another or or travelling in that pose, um, rolling from one pose to another. When they get together as a group, so say 
three children get together they create their own sequence and they might decide to do that sequence in unison Mm -hmm. or in canon or you know in a line or in a circle so no um, these are super useful yeah so there's a little book of instructions that also gives you lots of little games and uh so this is just all really evolved from you know if anyone wants to get their hands on a, on a copy of these, I will definitely put a link in the show notes that people can um, purchase them directly from your website, which is, for mm-hmm. these particular ones... It's um, www.yogaeducationresources.com. Right? Www. That's it. Mm-hmm. I've just brought it up just in case we, we get it wrong, but uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And then there are other things on that website. There are um, there's a relaxation CD for teenagers, which is fantastic. Yeah. So I think a couple of um, a couple of the podcast episodes are actually not episodes. They're actually some um, body scans and mm. some relaxation for students to uh, either focus at Nestedford or mm. you know relax after class on the way home. Like. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a big part mm. of the balanced ballerina's message. Yeah. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Or sort of get to sleep during stressful exam times. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so so we got – before we got distracted with the yes. cards, we were talking about the implementation of your yoga practice mm. in the studio with the dance classes. So do you mm. – is the yoga separate to the your dance classes or it, it's all one, isn't it's it? It's all part of it. Which so I find really interesting. Yeah. So um, we do some little mindfulness practices. Then we do some yoga. And it it's different for every age group, of yeah. course. So – with for instance i don't know five-year-olds we might have some feathers and we might blow the feathers um you know as part of our breathing exercise everything everything is about um the imagination so doing it in a creative way not saying now let's do the down dog after that let's do it's much more playful than that, the way we do it. Yeah. You say that each class should be a work of art. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So so we really design our classes. Say if I'm planning a class, I get my – I plan my playlist before I plan anything else and because I want the the playlist to create a feeling in the class. So – it might be, you know, quite fast Bach Brandenburg concerto to begin yeah. with and the children are puffing and panting. Yeah. And then you might do a slow Scarlatti sonata which completely stops them. And it's easy to do that because they've been puffed out by the Bach, first of all. So yeah. I really I, – I plan the energy of the class before – anything else wow gosh I would love to sit and just watch a few of your classes <laughs> next time in Melbourne can I come <laughs> yeah of course um I've actually they sound incredible yeah there's also a yoga education resources YouTube channel and there are lots of class ideas okay. on that and and also on the Insta yoga education resources Instagram just just because I love sharing yeah 
my ideas. Which is why you've also travelled so far to come see me today, which is just incredible. Thank you. I love it. Tell the listeners where you've come from. From Castlemaine, Castlemaine Central Victoria, which is where my family and I have lived for the last 30 years. And actually this year we're celebrating 30 years of Over the Moon Yoga and Dance Studios in Castlemaine. That's amazing. Wow, congratulations. Mm, Thank you. You have some very lucky students though. Oh, well. Your classes just sound amazing. We have an amazing community. Um, But the other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of the relationship between yoga and creative dance and improvisation is that we also have a strong focus on choreography in the school. So choreography is a separate class and a thing of itself. And the reason we do that is because we love for the students to feel confident in expressing their own dance ideas. So not feeling, so if you ask someone to improvise, you know, not feeling as if they have to go from a padasha to a jete to a, you know, it, it doesn't have to be sort of... It's so important and it really needs to be taught an improvisation yeah. skill, doesn't it? Because I know I know within my own teaching practices, I have a very ballet-heavy studio and so the students are very good at, yeah. at, at an exercise and me telling them what to do yeah. and this is the way it's done and then they repeat that for however long and then yeah. the moment they have to do any improvisation they do struggle a little bit because they go, oh, you're not telling me what to do. And they, and even if they get past that and they do improvise and create something, mm. they, they then turn around and look at me, Miss Georgia, I, I prefer it when you just tell me what to do. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So it's, it's, yeah. I have tried a little bit this year too. And then sometimes it's also running out of time as a lot exactly. of teachers don't understand. I'm trying to, I mean, it's a bit hard at the moment. We're coming up to ballet exams, but trying to leave some room and some time at the end to go okay now let's play and pick a beautiful piece of music and and Mm. let them just dance and improvise Mm. yeah so that's a huge focus at your studio it is so so our studio is both vocational and recreational so we have students who focus a lot on ballet with their with Edwina Adams or yes. another shout out I know I'm gonna <laughs> actually have to sit down with Edwina and and interview her for the podcast you will <laughs> um, because she's created a whole ballet culture at the school that is really wonderful and also very sympathetic to yeah the other things very sympathetic so you know I would say that she teaches mindful ballet um, when I walk into her class I I feel as if I'm walking into a yoga class, except that they're doing very focused ballet. Um, But then, yes, the other thing is about choreography, because one of the things that that you'll see now is in the, say, big choreography, uh, big contemporary dance companies like Batsheva Dance Company or Lines or Pina Bausch, is that the choreography isn't uh, from the top down. There's a lot of collaboration. Yes. You know, companies expect dancers to collaborate. They expect dancers to have ideas. And um, choreography is about 
you know, extending, expanding dance vocabulary, which mm. is, you know, exciting and creative and inventive. Yeah. So that's really what I try to inspire from the two-year-olds up. So say in a class with two-and-a-half-year-olds and their parents, um, I will, in one segment, I'll encourage the parents to just watch their child move and consciously copy their child and the child just suddenly realizes that they're the one with the power and they're moving and they think oh she's copying me you (laughs) would have had to see that video of the baby yes yes on youtube and he's just moving and dancing and running around and and the professional dancers behind him are copying and it it, it literally looks like a, a professional performance piece like yeah, it's amazing exactly i love exactly. that video it's so good yeah oh, yeah that's a really and really i you know i mean i watched that video for example and i didn't think to actually do it myself with my little ones but that's a, such a great idea it is a great idea and then the other thing we do with the parents and little ones is we do little acro balance things so you know that classic thing where the parent is lying on their back and the child's balancing on the parent's feet and arms, you know, that aeroplane thing. But there are a lot of other things, you know, like climbing up the parent's legs and doing, you know, somersaults. And so that's also something that we do in the class. So a lot is about parents and kids feeling free to move with each other. Yeah. Mm. No, it's, um, it sounds incredible that what you're doing at the at the studio and I love it yeah and 30 years that's incredible Mm. I'm seven years in with my studio that's impressive (laughs) seven (laughs) years in this day and age doing anything is impressive oh thank you (laughs) but yeah 30 years wow I'll get there one day (laughs) Mm. of course um now I also wanted to just ask you I I feel like your brain doesn't stop working like mine so I was going to ask you <laughs> what are you curious about at the moment what what keeps mm. you thinking about our our industry and our work mm. right now okay so well one of the things is that I'm going to be 66 this year so I am really you don't look it <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks darling <laughs> Um, So I'm really interested in mentoring people because I, you know, I mean, I have a very long-term succession plan. I'm thinking of going into my 90s, but, you know, I have to think about, um, you know, what will happen with all those ideas. So I do train people. I have a number of teachers at my school and we workshop together. We share ideas. Um, Another thing that really interests me is that, that excites me is that we run uh, workshops, summer and winter schools, and we bring in lots of different teachers. So, So the workshops are for teachers? The workshops are for students, Mm -hmm. but the teachers are welcome to come and join in as their professional development. Fantastic idea. Yeah. So 
this last winter school that we had, we had an African dancer, we had counter technique, contemporary counter technique, we had physical theatre, we had a different kind of ballet teacher. Um, I can't think yeah. right now of all the different things, but um, I got a lot out of that. You know, just watching other people teach, even though I'm much older than they are, mm. they've got their own way of doing things and I look at them and I think, hmm, I think I'll borrow that one. Yep. Because yeah. that's what teaching is, isn't it? You learn so yeah. much from watching other teachers. And, yeah. And, I mean, I guess one thing I'm really enjoying about this podcast, I mean, I'm lucky there are quite a few listeners, but even if I had zero listeners, I am learning so much from mm. meeting people and connecting and mm. even just listening to you talk today. I've picked up ideas. I've got these cards. I'm already planning a new <laughs> contemporary class for my juniors. Like, it's just yeah. a constant process. Mm. And um, that's such a great idea, inviting teachers into your workshops to, to you know, for their professional development. Mm. Yeah. So if you think of, um, I think of the workshops as a tapas meal with lots of little different flavours, yeah. which is, happens to be my favourite way of eating. Yeah, I'm a big tapas fan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Had to get back to food. Always. (laughs) Um, But it's also the way I like to run the workshops. So, uh, for instance, you know, with the physical theatre workshop, we had a brilliant, brilliant person called Byron Perry who used to dance with DV8. And I didn't know how it would go. There's actually something on our Instagram that the students came up with from his work but it's about um you know one person telling a story and speaking the story and the other two people physically manipulating that person to um move the story to illustrate the story and so that's already a very interesting um way into choreography as well Mm. Um, and then we had a lovely person called Sophie Burgoyne who did a similar thing with the juniors and I didn't think you could do that with five to eight year olds but she did and it was you know it was inspiring yeah wow And, and and I think that's that's lovely to watch and then you can pick from here pick from there and mm. and it's so important too because sometimes you can say something to a student over and over again and they don't get it exactly and then you say it a different way or someone comes yep. in and says it exactly what you're saying but in a slightly different way exactly and they go aha got it mm. <laughs> yeah it's lovely and and also um Another important thing I think about my school is that I have a really excellent manager mm-hmm. and maybe similar role to your mum, Yes, kind of keeping the whole thing together. Uh, but she is someone who's been, who was my student from, I don't know, I think six years old, went all the way through. And then when she was 19, she just started working yeah. for me as the manager she's now. I don't know, 27 or 28 and really understands the culture and the ethos of the school. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot, 
it's a very strong community. Yeah. It's funny, the role of whether you call it an office manager or the studio manager is one of those roles that I, I constantly talk to my mom about because she's my office manager yeah. or the little kids Lucky call her you. the uh, desk lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is pretty I funny. I that on your Did podcast. you? Yes, they yeah. call her the desk it's lady, which is pretty funny. Mm. But it, that particular role is not a role that can go to someone that you've just advertised the role for. It's one thing I find friends who have small businesses or, or have their own businesses – say to me oh why why can't you just advertise for that role or why can't you just um if you know because my mum went away last year right I was I was really cheesed off she went away it was so rude yeah not fair at all very rude went away for about six weeks (laughs) so she's got a lie she did have yes she she, I'm not letting her do it again though (laughs) and it was awful it was so yeah, awful it's hard. and I had friends go oh I can just fill in for you or mm. or can't you just advertise for that role for mm. six weeks and people don't understand the role of a studio manager is so special and so mm. unique and has to be someone that is so mm. in the trenches with you absolutely and how like that's lovely that you've got a student who's come up in that role so organically mm. and I'm so lucky to have someone like my mum who understands you mm. know the role inside and out mm. um it, it can't just go to anybody no because it, the culture of a school is, is everything everything and and you know a culture I feel like the studios that work are the mm. ones that put that culture and mm. community at the forefront mm. and that's why it works mm. like we don't have We've got great parents. We've got great students. Mm. There's no nastiness. There's, mm. you know, it's, it's, and you hear horror stories from other studios. And I feel like it's because you're not, not putting the culture or the community at the forefront and mm. you're not putting the people in those really important roles. I almost feel like my mum's role at my studio is sometimes more important than my role because mm. she's the first point of communication with mm. the parents and the students. And if I'm speaking to a parent once a term, mm she's speaking to them mm. twice a week mm. and she knows their lives and she knows the mm. ins and outs and mm. little Sally's had a bad day at school and mm. you know it's just it's a, such an important role mm. what's the name of your um your student who's now your um Ashlyn Ashlyn Her name's Ashlyn Farrow she's wonderful she would have to be wonderful because it's a very very important job mm. Mm, that's really nice I love that um my next question was I was going to ask you what keeps you motivated I mean after 30 30 (laughs) years with the studio but uh, I feel like it's you're very driven by legacy aren't you Mm, I I think so I I mm, such a good question (laughs) what am I driven by I I think I'm driven by beauty actually beauty in dance and so I, I'm, even though I'm not teaching as much as I used to, I'm in the studio a lot and sitting on a lot of classes, just checking how the children are going and uh, seeing a child develop gives me so much joy. Yeah. And it, that's another important thing actually is that knowing that all children are coming from a different place so there there are the children who 
will probably end up doing dance professionally and they just sort of sail through. But we also have students who, for whom walking in the door is a big mm. achievement and, um, and I don't like to give up on them. And so seeing a student over the years develop confidence even though they're not going to be um, a professional dancer but they're going to be something else pretty amazing uh, is is so rewarding I yeah I really love that yeah that's that's the message I'm always trying to drill home is that if you study dance it's it's not necessarily to be a professional dancer no and I sometimes get angry when parents pull their children out of a dance class because they'll come to say a parent watching day and they go oh my child's not very good so what's the point in them doing it yeah because for some reason there's this stigma attached to if you're doing dance you're going to be a professional dancer Mm. and I don't believe that at all because I'm sure you'll agree with me that the skills that they're learning in a dance class can apply to almost anything. Mm. And I, I certainly credit my dance training to my ability to focus and my work ethic and why I'm so driven, definitely mm. to my dance training. Mm. So mm. It's, it is very interesting because I think it's something that's not well understood Mm. And I did listen to your TED talk and I did <laughs> really uh, enjoy it. Oh, and thank you. It's, I, I really agree with you. And actually my own daughter studied violin and studied to quite a, a high standard and then decided not to pursue it. Um, and there's nothing wrong a, with that. Yeah, as yeah. a performer. Yeah. but. You know, she was up every morning at six o'clock doing her scales and all that sort of thing. She's a social worker now. She's the most awesome social worker, yeah. the most disciplined, the most driven. And, you know, I think, oh, yeah, that's just the same person putting that love and focus into and whatever energy into something. Yeah. And I think that's the key too. It's I'm not saying that every child should dance. I'm saying that you should pick what mm. pick something and be really good at it. Yeah. And so I think probably tying back into the start of our conversation when I was asking you, I don't know, do you think it's a good thing that kids, you know, filling up every afternoon mm. with an activity sort of makes me think, you know, I'm always saying to parents, do you want them to be a jack of all trades or a master of one? Mm. And I know that if I have a child, I'd like them to master at least something mm. to give them that dedication like your daughter with her violin, mm. like me with my ballet, you mm. know. Mm. Yeah, I it's something that I resonate with as well because I think definitely one of the things about our culture is that there's a sort of um, kind of supermarket men- mentality mm. about activities. So, oh, I'll try a bit of this and I'll try a bit of that and I'll try a bit of something else. Um, and then sort of wondering why they don't actually develop really good skills and the only way to develop really good skills is to do them for hours and hours and hours and hours that there is no shortcut it's committing to something and 
one of the joys of having taught for 30 years in our small community is that I've taught children from two and a half all the way through to 19 and I see their, I've seen their trajectory and I've seen that for a couple of years they were pretty flat but they kept going and then they had a peak mm. and then they had a trough and then they had a peak again, you know, and that's just the nature of life, life, <laughs> relationships, everything, everything. And that it's exactly during those troughs that is the important reason to hang in there. Couldn't agree more. I especially find with 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 ballet being such a technical thing mm. to choose as a child. Yeah. I find it just so sad the amount of times that mm. I find that it's the just as puberty sort of hitting about yep. 12 and a half, mm. 12, 13. Mm. And, you know, they're not sure they want to do this anymore and it's too hard and I want more time to hang out with my mm. friends and blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. And mm. they stop. Mm. And then they come back to me at 16 and 17 mm. and they want to restart ballet and it's really hard mm. because to jump in with their peers who didn't stop is really difficult. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and actually I've had a number of older students saying to me, I wish I'd stuck it out. Yeah. You know, I wish mum had made me do it. But, you know, at the time they're sort of hating mum for making them do it and slamming the door. And Yeah, it's so hard to find that balance between mm. does the student really want to give up or that mm. are they just being let to give up because mm. they're having a, a moment? Mm. Mm. It's hard. And then sometimes, unfortunately, it's too late mm. before they work that out. Mm. <laughs> and it's also too hard as a teacher sometimes to work out what, what it is and, mm. and to guide the parent mm. accordingly. Mm. Oh, it's tough. Mm. And it's not that everybody should dance. I, no. I don't think everybody should dance. I think doing something that you that you have to really work through is is a gift, whatever it is, you know, whether it's music or dance or swimming. That's yeah. pretty tough. I yeah. know that you know. I know. Kids that, that swim and get up at 5 a.m. and swim laps before going to school. There's mm. some dedicated, focused little little humans, those mm. ones. Mm. Now, my last question, Edna, mm. is being the Balanced Ballerina's podcast, I always <laughs> ask everybody, what is your number one tip for leading a balanced life? Mm. Well, it has to be yoga. <laughs> I thought you might say that. So, um, it would... I love yoga. It makes me feel so good and so in my body. I love going for a walk a few times a week with my lovely husband. And uh, I love getting up in the morning and having a cup of tea with my lovely husband. That helps me be a balanced, not ballerina, but <laughs> <laughs> dance principal. You know what? That's a pretty good answer. It's the simple things, isn't it? It is. Every time I ask this question, it's just the simple things mm. in life. Mm, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, mm. it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down and talking with you, Edna. I have mm. certainly 
learnt even more as a mm. teacher just sitting here and I can't wait to even listen back to this episode and look more into your resources. Um, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel like you gained some value, I would love if you could leave a five-star review on your podcast app or even better, share it with a friend. It keeps a podcast alive and inspires me to keep creating quality content for you because this truly is a labor of love. Anyway, have a beautiful week, ballerinas, and feel free to connect with me on the Balanced Ballerinas Instagram or via our private community group on Facebook. Just search Balanced Ballerinas Community, hit join, and I'll be sure to approve you so you can find other like-minded ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. Thank you.